Hi, this is Pastor Ronnie Henson, and I want to welcome you to the podcast of Ellettsville First Assembly of God. Our church has a desire to heal hearts and change lives with the love of Jesus Christ, so I pray that what you hear in this message draws you closer to Him. Our worship services are Sundays at 10 a.m., and the main entrance to our campus is at the corner of First Street and Association Street here in Ellettsville. Thanks again for listening today. Well, praise the Lord. Let's get to the Word. Amen. Um, I mentioned a couple of things last week um, before the message. I mentioned about Judy Skirvin. I mentioned her in prayer just a minute ago. And uh, Jerry Uli, I mentioned her in prayer also. I'll give you a quick update on them. Judy is in Florida. That's a good thing. She might even be watching us this morning, so we say hi to you, Judy, but, uh, and others. But uh, she's doing well. We got a report back, actually, from uh, the doctors and the surgeon. The angel uh, received a report from her by email and things, and uh, it says this, that the CT scan showed that everything was good and that there is no sign of active disease. That's awesome. That's awesome. So no more cancer, and uh, we're praying it continues to be that way and it continues to show, but they said it would, it would be good for her to have some time in sunny Florida, so that's where they are. And uh, Jerry Uli, she's at home to my knowledge. I talked with her Friday evening. And uh, she had a pacemaker put in on Monday, um, but uh, she's doing well and strong. And the uh, only thing was that she thinks that her dog can tell that she's different now. <laughs> so um, some of you know Lady, and uh, Lady is a character. She's a spoiled, spoiled girl. But anyway, um, I want to preach you a message this morning that's going to cover... Uh, the 15th chapter of Luke. And if you're taking notes this morning, if that's your, your thing to do, you like to take notes for messages, and I want to encourage you to do so because a lot of times you'll get more out of it if you take notes. But uh, if you're taking notes, the title of it is The Lost and the Least. And again, Luke chapter 15. Uh, so if you would like to turn there in your Bibles this morning, you can do that. But we're really not going to start there, um, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Luke chapter 15. I want to pause real quickly and just say, I love the work of the Holy Spirit. I love the work of the Holy Spirit. I love Pentecost, and I love what it means to this church. Uh, and I, I know that after, after Jesus rose from the dead and before he had ascended into heaven, I, I know that he said and spoke about this promise that was coming. And then after... He did rise into heaven. After he did ascend into heaven, he sent the promise of the Father. Jesus said, if I don't go away, then I won't be able to send this to you. And so he was able then to send this promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, to us. And when the Holy, Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, one of his primary workings, Scripture says, is to glorify Jesus to us. I don't know if you remember that in Scripture, but John chapter 16, I think it is, talks about that <clears throat> quite a bit, that Jesus says, He's going to glorify me. And so, um, what does that mean? How is Jesus uh, glorified to us? How is Jesus glorified by the working of the Holy Spirit? Well, if the Holy Spirit lives in us, He's going to gradually draw us closer to Jesus, isn't He? Yes? It's going to gradually, he's going to draw us closer to Jesus. And so our heart is going to become more tuned to the things that Jesus 
likes, let's say. Uh, we'll just put it in a common vernacular, I guess, or a common way of saying it. The, to Jesus' heart. Our heart is going to be tuned to His heart. We're going to start caring about the things that Jesus cares about. So let me ask you the question, what does Jesus care about? What does Jesus care about? Do we have a picture of what His heart cries out for? It's no mystery really to us. It's in the Bible. So of course we know what His heart is for. If you think about this, before Jesus began his public ministry, he spent three years in public ministry before all the people there in the Jewish nation. Before those three years of ministry, he spent 40 days in the desert, and he was being tempted by Satan. He was fasting. Some of you have been fasting for 21 days in this process. You haven't yet gone to 21 days, uh, but maybe you've been fasting a few days here and there, and we've been participating in that. I've been participating in that a bit and things, and, and so uh, some of you, you know, you're like, 21 days, that's a long time. Try 40. A little bit longer. So before Jesus, again, before he goes into this ministry period, three years, he goes in the wilderness, uh, into the desert there, 40 days, 40 nights, he's fasting, and he's being tempted by the devil. And when he returns from fasting, when he returns, he's, he's had victory over those temptation moments. Jesus preaches his first sermon. He goes into the synagogue, and you're familiar with this. Many of you, I, I know you're very familiar with this. He goes into the synagogue, and he's there to teach, and he calls for the scroll of Isaiah... And he reads a prophetic message that was being fulfilled right before the eyes of the people there. And it's in Luke chapter 4. If you want to flip over there, you can. Keep your hand, though, at Luke chapter 15. It's that the Spirit of the Lord, he speaks these words out. This is from Isaiah, but it's a prophetic message again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says. Now, I know that's Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah, but he's really talking about himself here, isn't he? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And didn't Jesus do these things as a ministry? All right? Recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so then over the next three years, he did just that. He lived out his purpose, why the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And so what do you find in Jesus' ministry? Did he take off from that moment and go out to only the upper crust of society and the rich and the wealthy people? No, he didn't. You know that. As a matter of fact, it was almost the opposite, really. Almost the opposite. He wasn't just caring about just the rich and the wealthy and things and those that considered themselves as being somebodies, right? You know how that is, the people that see themselves as the somebodies, right? No, who is Jesus after? Anyone and everyone, really. Anyone who is lost, even the least. I mean, he loved the outcasts and the misfits, didn't he? And after those three years... Just before he left his followers and ascended into heaven, he gives a job to all of his followers of something to do, doesn't he? The Great Commission, we're familiar with it, to go anywhere, go everywhere, 
and preach the gospel. Basically, give this message of good news of His love for every single hurting person. And that's not just a call that went out to the disciples or to the people that were there on that particular day. That's a call that goes down to you and I today, right? That's our job too, isn't it? Anybody else agree with me that you're supposed to reach the lost? Oh, yes. So then let's go back to the Holy Spirit for just a moment. We're a Pentecostal church. We're an Assemblies of God church, and the Assemblies of God is Pentecostal itself. And it was on the day of Pentecost that the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now, when I mention Pentecost, and when I mention the baptism of the Holy Spirit, usually there's three words that come to mind immediately, speaking in tongues. That's the first words that come to mind usually. I mean, you can let me know nodding your head yes or no if that's what you think about if, when you hear those words, Pentecostal and baptism of the Holy Spirit. And really quickly, even beyond that, our mind will shift to different forms of outward expression, uh, shouting and dancing. And, and uh, some people used to say things like, swinging from the chandeliers. Have you ever heard that before? Shouting preachers and things like that. So all this type of excitement and things. But I want to say this this morning. I want you to hear this. That those things are all very good. Very good. I enjoy those things. But if that's all we get out of Pentecost, if that's all we get out of even the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are missing the point. We miss the most important part. Because the whole point of spirit baptism is not about us. It's about what God wants to do in the lives of other people, how He wants to have an impact on other people. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're very familiar with this scripture that's on the screen there, that we who are Spirit-filled believers, when He comes on us, the Spirit has come upon us, that we as Spirit-filled believers, that we have a job to do. We've got to recapture the message that's in this verse right here. That when the Holy Spirit has come on us, that we're going to be witnesses. Jesus tells us right here that this is our job. That once the Holy Spirit has come on us, we're going to receive power. We're all for that, right? Power. We want woo, power. Come on. Woo. We want power. We like that. We like the idea of that. But the purpose of that power is not to be a witness of ourselves, is it? It's to be a witness of who? Jesus. My witnesses, it says there. Jesus is speaking. My witnesses. Be witnesses of Jesus. And instead of having people look at us and draw attention to us, it's who are we supposed to be drawing attention to? To Jesus, right? Have people look to him. So if we're supposed to follow Jesus' example, how did Jesus then minister to people? Like we said a little bit earlier, he didn't just go in and, and minister to the rich and the wealthy of society, right? The upper crust and those who thought that they were somebodies. As a matter of fact, much of his time was spent alongside of the worst people of society rather than the best people of society because really the best... They despised him. They didn't like him very much. So look at what takes place here in Luke chapter 15 
in verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners. This is a moment when Jesus was gathered around with a lot of people there. It says, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Can't you just hear them just kind of wrinkling up their noses? I mean, I, I, I read scripture and I start, start imagining the scene. You know what I mean? And I just, I just see them over there like, can you believe this guy? He's sitting down with sinners. <gasps> I know I'm being a little overdramatic. I know I am. But can you see the scene there? Tax collectors. Oh, my goodness. They're, they're thieves. And he's sitting down with these tax collectors. Oh, my goodness. Now, I know it's getting ready to be tax season. Don't start treating your tax man as evil, all right? Or the IRS agent who comes out at you if that takes place, God forbid. But I want you to listen to this. There's four different groups that are around Jesus in this particular chapter of Scripture here. There's four different groups of people, and there's going to be a test on this later, so you might want to make sure you, you pay attention to this, all right? First, there's the tax collectors, all right? And again, these tax collectors, they're different than the IRS agents of our day and age, okay? Uh, many of you know this. The tax collectors, they were very evil people. They would work in cahoots, I guess you could say, with the Roman government, and they would charge even extra than what the Roman government charged, and they would pocket the difference for themselves, okay? So that's these tax collectors that Jesus is having surround him right now in the center's of the society there. That's group number two. So you've got tax collectors. If you're taking notes so you don't fail the test, tax collectors. Number two is sinners, all right? Sinners are around Jesus. And when we're talking about sinners, hey, you know, I know a lot of times in church you hear me say things like, well, we're all sinners. And we do all sin. But these sinners that they're referring to in this passage of Scripture, these are deliberate, like out-in-the-open sinners. They don't hide it. They, it's just their way of life. That's who they are. So you're talking about cheaters. You're talking about thieves and connivers. You're talking about people who are just plain-out liars. Beyond that, you're talking about people who are prostitutes. I mean, we're talking about the filth of society that was coming and, and wanting to be near Jesus and hear from him. Why? Because he's giving them what? A message of hope, right? He's giving them God's ways. And so you've got tax collectors, you've got sinners, and then the third group of people who are there is who? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. And see, we look at the Pharisees with a different set of lenses than the people in that day and age did. Why? Because we've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we kind of know a little bit about the Pharisees, and we know what they did to Jesus in the end. But in that day and age, these guys were considered to be the good guys. They're the ones who kept the law. They're the ones who were the, the good people of society, the ones who had it right. So that's the third group. And the last group, the fourth group, is Jesus' disciples who were also there that day. So I want you to think about the scene here 
and put this into your mind a little bit that Jesus is there and he's teaching a bit and he's talking with the people and all. And these ones, all four different groups, of course, the disciples are there with them. But these other than three groups really is who we're focusing on. The first three groups are there that day. And I believe in my heart that this was all for a reason. I think that Jesus had everybody there, all these different groups, and it was all set up just the way that he wanted so that he could start sharing these three different parables with them, these three different stories that you find in Luke chapter 15. But really, every single one of these parables, they're all pointing towards the same lesson. And so I'm not going to read them all verbatim because of time, but you can look at the first one if you have your Bibles there. We're not going to have it on the screen and go through each part of it and everything, but um, the first parable is about a sheep. A sheep. It's about a shepherd and a sheep, really. It's a shepherd who lost a sheep. And in this story, if you scan through Scripture there, what you'll find is that, that there was something that was lost, and that's what? Big hint right behind me there. There was something that was lost, and that was a... Somebody had to be funny and say a lamb. (laughs) It's a sheep, all right? We'll call it a sheep today, all right? And someone who searched for that lost sheep, who was the one who searched for it? The shepherd, right? Okay, so there was something that was lost, And someone, the shepherd, who searched for what was lost, and when he found his sheep, there was a celebration, right? There was a celebration. The shepherd and all his friends held a celebration. In the second story, verses 8 through 10, a woman lost a coin. And again, so there's something that was lost, a what? A coin. I'm telling you, I'm testing your knowledge, making sure you're with me here today. And then someone who searched for the coin, which was the woman, okay? And when she found it, she threw a party. She had a celebration with all of her friends. And so these stories here about the sheep and the coin are extremely similar. And at the end of each one of those two stories, what you'll find is that Jesus throws in these words in verses 7 and verse 10, and they basically say the same thing. It says in verse 7, just, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in verse 10, for the coin story, he says, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, you see the similarities here, right? You see the similarities in the stories? Something lost, and someone went to search for it. They found it, and they had a celebration. They had a party, just like the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who comes to know Jesus Christ. Okay? So you've got those two stories. But then in the third story, Jesus kind of throws them a little bit of a curveball with the third story, and that's the story of the son. We know him as the prodigal son. And in this story, it wasn't something that was lost, but someone. It was someone's son who became lost. So I want to paraphrase this story a little bit also. And if you can just scan with me in your Bibles, starting in verse 11, 11, you can do that if you'd like. It starts off saying that there was a dad who had two sons. Hmm, 
I happen to have two sons. I'm a father, and I have two sons. And I thought about this whole thing as I was going through it. I thought, maybe I should ask my sons if they want to be an illustration for this. But I'm not going to do that today because neither one of the sons really did the right thing in this, in this story. And so I don't want anybody to think that or cast anything onto them or anything like that. So we'll just skip that and uh, just go through the story here. The younger son came one day, and he asked his father for his portion of the inheritance, didn't he? And he, he said, I, I want what's mine, Dad. I want what's coming to me. I know it's coming. I know you've got it saved up. So, Dad, why don't you go ahead and give me my portion of the inheritance, and I want to take off, and I'm going to leave home, and I'm going to basically live life like I want to live because I don't necessarily want to live the way that you're prescribing for me to live, so I want to live my way, the way that I think is going to be right, a better way, and I'm going to get out from underneath of your authority, Dad, and I just want to live how I want to live. A little bit of selfishness there, right? Just a bit. And so he did just that, and verse 13 says that he squandered what he had, what he had received with reckless living. Wild living. And because he lived so recklessly, had all of his fun wasting his money away on his friends and everything, everything that he had been given, he has nothing to show for it. And where does he find himself at the end, at the bottom, at the end of his rope, I guess I should say? He finds himself in a foreign land, starving and desperate. Desperate. So he finds a job. Goes and gets a job doing what? Anybody know? Feeding pigs, right? Feeding pigs. And now, when Jesus shares this about this Jewish boy, this son, who has found a job feeding pigs, that's going to send shockwaves through the Pharisees right there. Not really anyone who is listening, because you couldn't get any lower than feeding pigs. Pigs were not exactly their favorite animal in Jewish culture. Couldn't sink really any lower than that. And so there at the pig pen, this lost son, he has a revelation. He says, it'd be better for me if I just go back home and, and become a servant of my dad's because I know I can't be his son anymore. I, I know I've kind of I've relegated that already. I've gotten rid of that right by saying, I'm going to take my inheritance. I'm going to take what's mine, and I'm going to go ahead and live the way that I want to live I've kind of gotten rid of that part of my life. I can't be son anymore, but man, my dad takes care of his servants. They live good. He's kind to them. He's generous to them. So maybe, just maybe I can talk to him. Surely he would just, he'd let me, he'd let me be one of his servants because even that would be better than the way that I'm living right now. And now, now I know that the, the Bible doesn't say this, when he starts his journey home, but I just imagined this, and maybe this is just me thinking a little bit with my own imagination and things, but if he's got a long way home because he's in a foreign land, what do you think he's thinking about the whole way home? What am I going to say to my dad? What am I going to say when I see him? The first time I see him, how am I going to phrase this whole thing? Well, dad, I know, I know what I've done. I know I'm I've done something wrong, and I've wasted away everything that you intended for me to be good. I know that I've, I've, I've done this, but can I just can I be a hired servant of yours? He's going to ask for a job from his dad, you know? It's a humble place to be, right? And so he, he's thinking about this, 
of asking for a job from his dad who he's betrayed. And so then he comes around eventually on his journey in view of the house. And what happens? He's surprised by something, right? You know the story already. So many of you know the story. He's surprised by something. He sees somebody running from the door of the house right off the porch. If they had a porch, I don't know. I'm just using my mind of today, I guess. Jumping off the porch and taking off running down the road. He sees and and it's his dad. His dad is running for him. And his dad just, he takes off running. And he tries to stop his dad. Dad, I, I just want a job. But he can't stop his dad. His dad just wraps him up like this and gives him a big hug. Starts kissing him on his cheek and things and, and, and starts saying, oh, I'm so glad you're home, son. I'm so glad you're, you're home. And so before his son can even ask for a job, this is just my mind thinking, it's not in the Bible. Okay, this is my opinion, so I'm stepping away from the Bible. But before he can even ask Can I be your servant? Can I be one of your servants? His dad's already calling him son. That's what I see happening. I'm so glad you're home, son. I'm I'm so glad that you're here. And and then he even takes it a step further and he says, go. He shouts back, bring me a robe. Bring me sandals. I want to put some sandals on his feet. You know what? Bring one of my rings. See, back in the day, it wasn't just a, a ring like, <clears throat> like a little golden ring or, or something. It wasn't just some tiny little thing that was insignificant. The ring, more than likely, that he put on his finger that day when he hugged him and he welcomed him home as his son, it was more than likely like a, a signet ring, something that was used to sign documents, bore the family symbol or the va- family name. So you see all this imagery happening, and you know Jesus is telling this story, this parable, to everybody who's gathered around all these different crowds, the sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees. I'm giving you hints there there for that test that's coming here just shortly. But he's telling this story to them, and he combines this story about the son with the lost sheep and the lost coin. And there was a celebration after both of those, those stories, wasn't there? There was a party that happened and a celebration. And unlike the other stories, though, unlike the story about the sheep and the coin, Jesus continues this story. He goes a little bit further with this one instead of stopping there and just saying, hey, there's a party that happened. There was a feast that the dad had for the son. He goes further with this one and starts talking about how a servant told the older son that the younger son had come home. The servant told the, the older son what happened, and the older son, what was his response? Did he welcome him? No. He got angry with them, didn't he? Got angry. He got so angry that he refused to join the party. His dad went over and <clears throat> excuse me, asked him, son, come on, come in and, and enjoy. But he refused. He wouldn't go in. Now, Again, you need to know something about the culture of the people who are around Jesus that day. If something like this were to actually happen, and it wasn't a story, let's say it was a real-life thing that were to happen in Jesus' day, it would have been the older brother's job to leave home, pack up his stuff, and go out and, and chase after, not just chase after, but look for and search for the younger brother and try to convince him 
uh, come on, brother, come home. Dad is, he's really missing you, and we want you to come home. It would have been his job to go out and find him and bring him home. You need to understand that. That's very important. Because I want you to think about the symbolism and the groups of people that were around Jesus that day. There's a reason why Jesus shares this particular story and goes further in detail with the story about the son that he did with the sheep and with the coin. There's four different groups there, really three that we're focusing on. So here comes that test I was telling you about, all right? Out of the groups of people that were surrounding Jesus that day, who would be the younger brother, the younger wayward brother of the story? Who would it be out of the groups of people that day? It would have been the tax collectors and the sinners, right? Both of those two combined. It would be the tax collectors and the sinners. So then who would be the older brother in the story? It would be the Pharisees. Be the Pharisees. You see, there's a problem here. The younger brother had done their thing, the sinners and the tax collectors. They had gone out and they had lived their way that they thought was best, right? That's what they just did. It was natural for them to just go and run after sin because that's in the human nature. So they ran after sin. They were <clears throat> living the way that they wanted to live, being separated from the Father. They, they were separated from the Father, weren't they? They weren't fulfilling the Old Testament law, that's for sure. So they're running from the Father. But then now, did the older brother of culture, the Pharisees, were they doing their job and running after the sinners? No, they sure weren't. They didn't run out after the outcasts of society and the sinners and the, whether you even want to group the tax collectors in that. The Pharisees were the ones who were, they were angry, they were self-righteous, and they considered themselves to be superior to those people. So what's Jesus' point in all of this? What's his point? Why does he share the story about the sheep? Why does he share the story about the coin? Why does he share the story about this son and go even further in detail with it? It's really all about getting closer to the Father's heart. What's the Father's heart? What's even Jesus' heart? What does he want us to know? What does he want you and I to be aware of? And how does he want us to draw close to the Father's heart? I want to tell you this, that the Father's heart is for lost people. He wants us to have the same heart for lost people and even go to the place where we will sacrifice our comfort and our energy, our resources, our time, all of those things for searching out the lost and bringing them home. That's what he wants, home to him. And the older brother had done all kinds of work on the farm, hadn't he? He had done all kinds of things for dad, and he was proud of it. He was very happy about himself and what he had done. And if you really look into this portion of Scripture in Luke 15 here, he felt so superior to his brother that he wouldn't even call his brother by name. Didn't even call him by name. Look at what verse 29 and 30 says. He answers his father and says, Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me 
a young goat even, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, see, doesn't even call him by name, doesn't even say the words, but when my brother came home, he doesn't even identify him as his brother, does he at this point? He says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And that's exactly what the Pharisees' attitude was toward their younger brothers. And it was exactly their response too, to Jesus showing love to these outcasts and these sinners in their society. See, the older brother in the story and the Pharisees and many Christians today We're very devoted to God. We're very devoted followers of Jesus, we say. And we're devoted to maybe even coming to the house of God and worshiping God and things. And the Pharisees were too, weren't they? They were devoted to keeping the law. They wanted to keep it very well and things. But but a lot of us even today, we're devoted to the wrong things. And like the older brother, we might be working for God and we might be close by to God, but we don't really understand the heart of God. We've lost sight of the heart of God. We can do things for God, but we can be very far from His heart still. It gets quiet in here now. Think about it, though, for a second. The older brother, he was constantly around the father, wasn't he? All the time. But he didn't understand the heart of the father. We don't see this in the story in Luke chapter 15, but can you imagine... If the brother had done his job and, excuse me, had the right heart, what if it would have been like, what would it have been like if he had the right heart? Younger brother leaves, right? And the older brother says, well, maybe he'll come back, you know, tomorrow. Maybe he'll come back and and he goes with dad and he he hears dad's heart and he he knows what dad is going through and he hears how dad is crying and and understand how dad is longing for his son to come back and and how brokenhearted his dad is, right? Let's say that is what happens. And he spends time there with with dad and he spends time there crying with his dad and praying with his dad and, and hoping and just wondering, maybe he'll come back today, maybe he'll come back tomorrow. But after a week goes by and he never comes back, maybe he says, i got to do what i got to do, and he starts packing up his stuff, and he, he loads up his stuff, and he mounts his horse or whatever, and he goes out, and he starts searching for his younger brother, and he searches far and wide, and he searches and, and searches for months on end, and finally he finds his younger brother there at the pig pen. He finds him there. I know this isn't in the Bible. I know you we're using a lot of literary license here today in the story, but think about it with me. If he found him, and he gets down in the mud with him, And he says, brother, won't you just come home? Calls him by name. I don't know what his name was. Say it's Sam. I don't know. That's just the first name that comes to mind. Come home, Sam. Come on. Come home. You need to come home. You could insert anybody's name in there, right? Come home. Dad loves you. He doesn't think negatively of you. He's not ready to pound you into the ground when you come back home. He, He loves you. He wants you to be his son and enjoy life. You don't need to be here in this pig pen. This is not where you belong. You need to get out of the filth and come home to the Father's place of blessing. He wants you. He desires you. He wants, to, wants you to be there with him. 
And say he gets his brother up and finally his brother says, all right. And they, they start off back to the house and they're journeying down the road. They're walking down the road and, and they're talking together. And he's just encouraging his brother the whole time all the way back home. And they get to the driveway and they get there. And the brother is so excited that instead of just dad running to meet the son, the brother takes off running too down the driveway to dad. And he just greets him. And he says, my, my brother's home. My brother's here. I'm so excited he's back. He's here. What would the story have been like if it were to have been that way? Isn't that more so the heart of a father for us as believers even today, as the older brother, that we would do that? Yeah. You take it even further and say, well, you know, then the dad says something about throwing the feast and things, and the older brother, maybe you find him in the kitchen or something, and and preparing and helping to prepare for his brother because his brother's come home. He, you find him there working to make the food and make sure that his, his brother feels welcomed. Make sure that he's, he's loved. Well, that's not what happened, is it? Why? Because the Pharisees didn't love the tax collectors and the sinners like Jesus did. See, the Pharisees were the imperfect older brother but there was someone else who did love the sinners and did love the tax collectors that day. Jesus was the ultimate older brother, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And he didn't just leave a comfy home environment to chase after and run for the younger brother and be the friend of sinners. He left the splendor of heaven, didn't he? To come and to die for every single one of us. So what am I saying to us today? Let's make it personal today. If we call ourselves spirit-filled believers and, and Christians, if our spirit-filled living doesn't drive us to the pig pens of the world, looking for the younger brothers and lost brothers and sisters, we're missing the point of spirit baptism. We're missing the point. We're missing the heart of the Father. And if you think that Christianity is all about just doing what God wants you to do so you can get what you want out of God, then again, you're missing the point in a very huge way. Maybe you need to pull aside and spend some more intimate time with the Father and make sure that you get to know His heart. Get to know His heart. Is the Spirit of the Lord upon you? Is the Spirit of the Lord upon you? Does the Holy Spirit live in you and dwell on the inside of you, believer? Does He live in you? Then just like in Jesus' first sermon, He has anointed you also to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to any single person who will listen to you. You know, we, we say we follow Christ, but do we? Do we follow Christ in every way? Well, not one of us can say that we're perfect, right? Yeah. We talked about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. I think it was two weeks ago we talked about this a little bit, that it's natural for us as people, as human beings, to put up these walls around us and 
we consider ourselves good. Every one of us, we, we look at our own life and we consider ourselves as good, right? We just do. You might not nod your head at that, but we do. We consider ourselves as good or right. We have our opinions on things, right? And so we consider ourselves as good. And we put up these walls around us and we allow some certain people in that we consider to be good people, family and friends, people that are close to us. And we consider them as, as good. And there are people that are on the outside of those walls that are outsiders to us. In our sphere of influence, or the people that we associate with, we allow these good people in and everybody else that are on the outside. But you know what? If it weren't for Jesus, every single one of us would be on the outside. Every one of us. He poured his life, his blood out, so that we could be included. Right? You know, I once had somebody come up to me. This was a long time ago when I was youth pastoring here at the church. I had somebody come up to me and say, there's people who are smoking outside in the parking lot. There's people who are smoking out there. Can you believe that? You know what I said? I'm glad they're here. I'm so glad they're here. Well, Pastor, what if, what if there's a gay and a lesbian couple who comes in and they sit down in the church service? What are you going to do about that? I'm going to love on them. I'm going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to them. I'm going to hope that the Lord does something on the inside of their heart so that we can get a heart change first, and then we can see a life change later on down the road. You hear me? See, I'm not going to bar the doors and keep those people out. I'm not going to do that to anybody. I don't care if they're the worst of sinners. I, I'm not going to do that. Jesus was a friend of sinners, wasn't he? And that's what we're supposed to be. I hope and pray that this church can be a friend to sinners. Not just in this context of a Sunday morning service, but on the outside of these doors that we can be a friend of sinners. Listen, they felt Jesus' love, didn't they? These people, the sinners and the tax collectors, I love how this chapter starts off, that they came near to him. Why do you think that they came near to him? Because he loved on them. He didn't consider them as outcasts, did he? And push them aside. He loved on them. He cared about them. In the same way, I want this church, this body of believers here, I want us to be welcoming to sinners, not just in this, these doors, but when we're outside and we're in society, we should be a friend of sinners out there also. Like I said just a second ago, the mission of this church is to get people's hearts healed first and then to see their lives changed by the power of Jesus Christ. That's our desire. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me this morning? This has been one of my favorite parables in all the scripture. It's one of my favorite. Parable of the sower is right up there with it because I just like the imagery there of sowing seed and things. But you know, you look at this one and about the lost items, and, and I believe that the Lord did this on purpose with the groups of people that were around him that day, and he wanted the Pharisees to discover something about themselves that they had not done their responsibility as an older brother to go out and search for the sinners and really try to bring them into the family of God once again and, and right wrongs that were in their life and bring them to a place of repentance, and not in a judgmental way, right, but in a loving way, try to bring them to a place of repentance. They hadn't done their job. 
And there's some of us today, we could look on the inside of our life and there's always the tough question we, we could ask ourselves and say things like, well, when's the last time we brought somebody to know Jesus? When's the last time? In the uh, National, this is not the reason why I preach this message today, but in the National Assemblies of God, there's an initiative for this year, for 2020, that we would go and, and evangelize. Evangelize. What does that mean? What does evangelize mean? It means that you go out and share the gospel with somebody. Tell them about Jesus Christ. That you would do that. I think it was this past Wednesday night, we were talking about this, that in Ephesians, Paul's talking to the church and things, and we corporately today, in this day and age, we think about outreach and evangelism in a wrong way many times. We think things like, well, it's the pastor's job to go on outreach and plan something, put a program together, or it's the youth pastor's job, or it's the children's pastor's job, or it's, that's what they're there for, that's to, to do this. What does Ephesians say to us? That it's the pastor's job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so it's all of our jobs. So instead of seeing it as though it's three people's responsibility or the staff's responsibility and their spouse's responsibility to reach people in our community, what if every one of us saw ourselves as a personal evangelist and instead of sending six people out into this community to evangelize, we sent, how many people we have here today? 100, 120 people out into our region to evangelize? What do you think that would do? What do you think would happen if every single one of us brought someone to faith in Jesus Christ before the end of 2020? What do you think this church would look like? Be a little different, wouldn't it? There's some empty pews around us. There's places for people to sit. And I know this 100% sure that if you mounted up every single person that lives in the town of Ellettsville, you could not fit them all in every church building that's in our town. So there's plenty that are out there, right? You say, Pastor, that's a pretty tall order. Is it? Is it a tall order to say, I really want to do my part this year to bring one person to Jesus Christ. Is it a tall order? And they may not come to this church. They might go to another church that loves Jesus and preaches Jesus. That's fine. Let them go to another church. Plug them into the family of God, the kingdom of God. Plug them in somewhere where they can grow and learn. I'd love to have them here in this church. I'd love to pastor them and help them in their faith. I love pastoring people, especially new believers. I love pastoring, not to say I don't like older believers, okay? But there's something about a new believer who's excited and they're ready to, they're ready to go. And saying, I want to know more. They want to know more about the Lord and they want to grow in Him. There's something about that. Excited to disciple people. Bow your heads with me for a moment. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, would you begin to work in our own hearts? We don't want to be Pharisees. We want to be like you, Jesus, the ultimate older brother in this scenario. 
that we would spend time with the sinners, the tax collectors. We would spend time with those who are considered the outcasts and misfits of society around us. And I know that we have them in Ellisville and in our surrounding regions in Bloomington and Owen County, Greene County, Monroe County. I know that we have people who are considered outcasts and misfits. And Lord, I know that you love them. And Lord, I know that you love the rich and the wealthy too. And that your heart goes out for them also. But Lord, any person, Lord, that maybe might come to our mind this morning, I pray that, that we, Lord, would, would begin to take some initiative in being the older brother in the story, being the right older brother in the story. And that we would pray and we would talk with the Father. We would talk with the Father about what it is or where it is that we think that we might should go and search for the younger brother. Lord, I, I pray that we would talk with you and have that conversation. Where should I go, Lord? Where should I search? Who is it that you want me to reach as my younger brother? Who is it that you want me to reach out to and go and find and, and bring them home? And Lord, I pray that as you give us that one person, even, maybe there's one person's name, one person's face that's coming before your mind right now, and that would be a working of the Holy Spirit right there. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it and just say, well, it's just because I'm close to them. No, don't do that. Take it as a work of the Holy Spirit this morning, saying, I want that person to come to know me. And if there's one name, one person's face that's coming before your mind, maybe there's more than that. I don't know. But maybe you would say, Lord, I, I want to I want to talk with you, my Father. I want to talk with you. I don't want to pray. I want to have this conversation with you about what the best method is to reach this person. But Lord, don't let me get stuck there too long because my younger brother, he's out there and he's starving and he might die before he comes back to sonship again if I don't do my part. So Lord, I pray that you would help us not to stay locked in the mode of let me pray about this, let me pray about this, let me pray about this, but let me pack up my gear and go and do what it is that I'm called to do as the older brother, to go out and reach the one. It's interesting, isn't it, that you look at all three stories here and it was one lost sheep, it was one lost coin, wasn't it? So Lord, I pray that if you're putting one face in our mind, one lost sheep, one lost coin, or one lost son, I pray that we do our part and go and seek out that person, Lord. Bring them into the family of God that they might know you so they'll get to heaven one day. Before I leave this place today, I want to ask you, I know we've only talked really about evangelizing today, but maybe, maybe I should just pause right now and take the opportunity and say, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you do not know Jesus, today let me be the older brother for you. Let me be the older, bro older brother that says, hey, come home. The Father, he loves you. He loves you so, so very much. And he wants you to be his son, his daughter. He wants you to be, have that relationship with him. He is not there to to strike us down or cast condescending words to us. He's there to love us and welcome us home. Is there anybody today you say, I want to be a son of Jesus. I want to come back home and have a relationship with my dad. I'm the younger brother, but I want to come home. Anybody today you say, I need to, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior.